Well, good morning. Good morning. This morning we're going to be uh, looking at uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, uh, just the first half of uh, verse 10. This is one of those verses where, uh, you know, the, uh, the monks uh, did a good job of, of uh, delineating things with their numbering system. However, sometimes they didn't hit it really good for breaking things down to preach it. So <laughs> this is one of those places where, where uh, the second half of 10 really goes better with the rest of the verse than it does where we're going to be today. So we're going to go through 10, uh, 10a. I just have one, uh, I discovered this morning, I was reviewing everything and going through everything this morning to try to make it fresh on my head. And, and I noticed that uh, the, the very last reference in, in uh, section 2, uh, Revelation 20, uh, I gave the wrong, that's, those are the verses above. That's, the, that's, that's Satan's fall. I wanted the great white throne. So if you'll cross out 7 through 10 and put in 11 through 15, that's the right reference. So, so anyway, we'll get there in a little while. But I just, I was too cheap to reprint it all, so. Yeah, I was research, yeah, I would have probably run out of ink and paper before we got there, so. So anyway, there, that's where we are this morning. Okay, so this morning we're going to be looking at, I titled this Judgment and Rescue, because that's, that's what Peter does through this. This is, this is really, it's a, it's a, it's a text that deals with, with, excuse me, with past judgments, but within those judgments, with the exception of one, there is rescue. Uh, the the righteous are rescued, and uh, uh, and and then in the concluding ver- in the concluding verses ten through or uh, nine through ten a, uh, Peter reverses that order and he gives the rescue of the righteous. And the judgment of the wicked, and, and so um, that's what—that's kind of how this lays out as he goes through it. He's basically—he's basically wanting to assure believers of of two things. One, God is not slow concerning His promises. One, He's going to judge, and two, He is going to save. And those things are assured, and he and he does that by giving historical accounts of judgment and rescue, and then he gives. The, se- the final assurance to the believers of that day that judgment is coming on the wicked, but salvation is there for the for the for the for the believer. So that's that's really where he's going as he goes through this text. He wants he wants them to to understand that yeah. We're beseeched with false prophets because the whole context is false prophets or false teachers. False prophets are Old Testament. False teachers are New Testament. But, but at any rate, uh, that, that the, the church of Jesus Christ has been infiltrated by these, these, these false teachers. And, and he's, he's, he's wanting them not to despair. Uh, the gospel is not going to be lost because of them. Uh, that God will indeed judge them. They'll have their run, but their end is uh, is 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 established. That's that's really the idea uh, that is going on here. This is a text that says, "Remember your history with God." That's really what it's telling you. Uh, whatever trouble you find yourself in. Remember your history with God. That's that's what he's that's what he's going to tell us as we go through this text. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we as we proceed through the text of of Second Peter four uh, ten uh, through ten a. So uh, do we have any prayer requests this morning? In Jesus' name. 
Okay, so uh, just kind of to uh, get back up to speed, uh, as we as we came into chapter two and verses one through three, where he he introduced, uh, he gave us a general picture, a general introduction into uh, the fa- the uh, the false teachers, some of their uh, methods, I suppose you would say. He uh, he tells us that uh, in verse one that uh, that they kind of, that they are secretive, they bring their work in secretively, and that that work is destructive heresies. In other words, they they come in and counteract the truth of the gospel. And then in, in verse 2, he went on and he gave us a, something about their picture. He told us that they are the picture of sensuality. In other words, they are steeped in sin and in particular sexual sin. Uh, and he will expand upon that as we move through, uh, through, uh, through the text later on. And in verse 3, he told us what they're motivated by. And it was money, greed. Their their whole their whole operation is to get all they can get out of this life. Uh, that's that's uh, that's the picture of these uh, of these uh, of these uh, uh, of these. Uh, uh, false teachers in verse 10 B and after that he's going and following he's going to tell us that they despise authority and that they are self-willed this is the kind of people that they are and all you have to do is look around at some of the people today who claim to be uh, orators of God and it's apparent that that's exactly who these people are they're hungry for money they're involved in all kinds of sin. They are self-willed. They they see themselves as the authority, and uh, it, it is that that kind of uh, activity that goes on and and demonstrates a false teacher. First John two sixteen and seventeen uh, gives an accurate description of these these guys. He says they are they are the ones that are of the world. They're not of God because they they practice lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. That's the picture of these false teachers. As uh, as uh, as we look into this into the into these verses and four through eight, he's going to assure his people that that the false teachers' work will not go unpunished. They will they'll have their run, but it won't go unpunished. The judgment is secure, and he and he's going to cite three historic judgments uh, to to show that. Uh, and and they, and he's also going to tell us. That while believers may have to endure uh, the sinfulness of these of these uh, false teachers for a while, just as the righteous people during these judgments had to endure what what was going on in their day, uh, they will come to judgment just as surely. Those are the those are the things he's going to tell them. He wants to reassure the uh, he wants to reassure the believers and and make sure that they are assured that uh, that God is uh, God is 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 going to judge and he is going to bring things uh, to uh, to a conclusion Uh, in in three B. He wrote their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. It is within the timing of God in Jude Jude four Jude wrote. 
For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long ago beforehand marked out for condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the that's the picture that we come into as he begins these historic judgments. And he, and he, he then says in verse 4, For if God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them into the pit and delivered them to chains of darkness, keeping them from judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought them, when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ash, having made them an example of those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. And incidentally, that is one sentence. <laughs> that whole thing is one, one long continuous sentence. And, and when it begins with if, and if runs through this clause. In fact, I think it's in the NIV, they, they have if before every sentence. And the King James has a couple more ifs. The, uh, uh, the uh, the LSB just has it here in verse 4 and 6 and 7. But that if probably should be translated rightly since. It's not a question of this might happen. Yes, this is a conditional sentence. But it's not a question of is this going to happen or this could happen. It's, it's, it is assured. That this is a reality. This did happen. That's that's the idea. It's it's an affirmative that this happened, and uh, and and like I said, it's it's a one sentence that runs through verse eight. So he he begins by saying he begins with the with the judgment of angels in verse in uh, verse four. For if God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them into the pit and delivered them to chains of darkness and kept them for judgment. That, that's the that's that's his statement on angels. Unlike the next two judgments, this judgment has no mercy, it has no grace, and it has no redemption. There is only judgment here, uh, because we are dealing with angels, angels who lived in the very presence of God. According to Job, there was a time when all the Ben Elohim, the sons of God meaning angels, throughout Job, that's what that term means, uh, sang together. Uh, and the idea is, is that all of these angels were created holy, and all of them stood in the very presence of God. All of them had access to the throne of God. They stood around it. They worshiped God. They praised God together. As a result of that, there is no salvation for them. They knew exactly what they were doing. That's, that's, the, that's the point. Uh, there was a rebellion. We know this. Scripture is not very clear on exactly what happened and how it happened. It gives us some indications. In fact, we have to go. We have to go to the last book of the Bible to even find out how many were involved in it. Uh, Revelation twelve three, uh, three through nine tells us that the th- a third of the angels accompanied Lucifer in this in this. Uh, in this rebellion, Lucifer was an archangel. He was the appointed cherub that covered. He was the uh, the appointed archangel of the cherubim who was over the glory, who 
in a sense, protected the glory of God. That was his job. He was, the scriptures will tell us that he was one of the most beautiful of God's creation. And as a result of that, somehow, some way, we're not told how, we're not, there's, we would only speculate, and I'm not going to do that, uh, that, that somehow pride entered this creature, this created being. Incidentally, pride is the, really the cause of all sin. Uh, but nevertheless, pride entered this being. And as a result of that, Isaiah tells us what he did. In Isaiah chapter, four, uh, chapter 14, verses 12 through 21, where we have the five I wills of, of, of Lucifer. And basically, you, you could, we will sum up those five I wills in this simple statement. He decided he wanted to be equal to or above God. That's, that's what he decided. He decided he was top dog. And he wanted that rank. And he wanted that place. As a result of that, he and the third of the angels who went along with him were cast out. That's, that's the idea. That's, that's the original fall. However, when we come to this text, he says something else. He says, but here... These angels are not, because we know Satan is still loose, he is still free, he's still running about. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, tells us this. For we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That's demons, fallen angels. That's what he's talking about there. So we know that they're, they're, they are still active. They still have a place in the world. We all recognize that, I think, as believers. If you've been a believer at any time at all, you know something about this. Um, <clears throat> they are not in the, in the abyss. They are not in the lake of fires at this point. Revelation chapter 2010, that, that's when that happens. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. That comes at the end of the tribulation after Christ returns. Uh, none of that, none of that has happened at this point. But he says this group, this specific group of angels, have been cast or committed to hell, committed to pits of darkness, and that's not a result of that original fall. Uh, they and they, in fact, are still awaiting the lake of fires as well. But they are currently incarcerated. That's what the that's what the text is telling us. They were cast in the pit, pits of hell. And, and, um, excuse me. Um, they were cast into the pits of hell and delivered to chains of darkness, where they're being kept for final judgment. Ultimately, is what it says. They are currently in this place. Cast into hell is is one word, and it is the word Tartarus, which is an interesting word because Peter grabbed the word from Homer in this particular place. It comes from the Greek mythologies, and this word described a place, a horrible place, that was actually below hell. It was the deepest, darkest pit of hell where the worst of the worst were sent. That's that's what this uh, that's what this picture that's what this picture talks about. It's the place where the most wicked spirits, the big, the the fiercest rebels, the 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 uh, the most fierce criminals, uh, and it's the place where they would see receive the worst punishment. 
Peter says that's where these angels are kept. He borrows this term to describe the place in which these specific angels are incarcerated. Uh, a place a place that is absolutely horrible. It's used in the Pseudofigura book, First uh, Enoch in, in, in verse 1. And, and basically, this would have been well known, especially among the Jewish readers of Peter's day. They would have understood this. They would have understood exactly what Peter was saying uh, when he said this. And, of course, part of biblical interpretation is, what did the original hearers understand? This is what they would have understood. They would have understood that these angels were in a place of horrible incarceration. That's the idea here. He says he cast them into hell, Tartarus. And then he said he delivered them to chains, in the NSSB it says pits of darkness, or they were committed to those th- that place. Uh, the word delivered and committed are the same are the are the same word. It means they, it means it literally means that they were uh, turned over for imprisonment. That's the idea here. This same word is used in Acts chapter eight three and in twelve four in the uh, the imprisonment of of the apostles along along the way. Uh, so that's what it means. It means that they were they were turned over for this imprisonment. They were committed, and, and he describes the place they were they were committed to. Uh, depending on translations and manuscript evidence, goes both ways. Some manuscript because the problem is the word for pit and the word for chain have one letter difference in Greek, and you know some scribes. Writing wasn't good. They they were like mine. You can't read it. So so we're not really sure exactly because really good manuscripts debate this. uh, Whether it's chains or pits, it really doesn't matter. It comes out the same. They are incarcerated in a horrible place that is absolutely dark. And whether it is the darkness of a pit or it is the pit and chains, or whether the darkness is the chains, that's where they are. That, that's, what it, that's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying here. It's, it's just a bad, bad place. Incidentally, yeah, go ahead. Um, so this is a, a, when we say that it was a third of the angels who fell, this is a portion of that. This is a select group. From that one. Of that group okay, that that, that we're involved with here, uh, that have that have. What specifically? We're getting there. Okay. <laughs> we're getting there. We're not going to spend a lot of time there because it's not really the issue here. <laughs> it's not radical. It's actually it's a rabbit hole. Oh, a rabbit hole. Okay. <laughs> she knows where I'm going because she's been in my classes a long time but anyway uh anyway uh this is the same this is the this is uh this is the idea that comes from matthew 8 29 through 31 where jesus uh uh delivers the demoniac of legions and and they they ask him not to send them to this place that's what they ask they beg him not to send them there so angels know about this place demon angels fallen angels they know about this place and they don't want to go there and so that that's the same the same word is used there 
It's it basically it's a sense of total loss of freedom and absolute incarceration. That's that's really the picture here. It is the solitary confinement of solitary confinements. I suppose you could say in our terms. Uh, but at any rate, it's a bad, bad, bad place. And so now the question becomes, who are they? Uh, what is this specific group of angels? Jude 6 and 7, Jude is a corollary book on false prophets to Second to Peter. Uh, Jude 6 and 7 gives us somewhat of an idea. And he says this, he says, And angels who did not keep their own dominion, but abandoned their proper abode, he kept them in eternal, uh, eternal bounds under darkness for judgment of the great day, just as, and here's part of the key, because where are we going from angels here? We're going to Noah, the flood, and then to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's, that's the same pattern. He says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities around them, uh, having in um, indulged in the same way the same sexual immorality and having gone after strange flesh flesh are exhibited are exhibited as an example in the ongoing punishment of eternal fire so the idea here the idea here from from Jude is these angels left the proper place of their existence the spirit world they left that place they left their domain and they indulged in a like sin sensual sin with as as excuse me as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah did um, they ban- they abandoned they did not keep where they belong that's that's the idea we also saw this same t- idea from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 18 through 20 where <coughs> where he wrote For Christ also suffered for sin once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring you to God, having been put to death in the flesh, by which he is made alive in the spirit, in which in which he also went and made proclamation of the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient when they pra- when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, uh, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So from those two passages, we know two things about these angels. One, they didn't keep the pop- their proper place in the order of things. They left the world they were supposed to be in. They left their domain. Secondly, this happened during the time Noah was constructing the ark. So Genesis 6 is the picture. What's the event of Genesis 6 that could fit into this picture? If I, if I pull on that tab, I'm going to pull it out. <laughs> I cheat, incidentally. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Genesis 6. Uh, now it happened when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them and the, and the sons of the Ben Elohim. This is the only second, this is the second usage of Ben Elohim. The only other usage is Job and it refers to angels. Uh, the sons of God saw <coughs> that the daughters of men were good in appearance and they took them the wives for themselves, whomever they chose. The idea here is that somehow, and, and I know this has got holes in it, there are three basic theories about what happened here. Uh, one is kind of ridiculous. It basically says that polygamous marriages were the reason for the flood. It brought about the gross sin. Um, unfortunately, there's no biblical reference that says that was not legal. 
prior to this event. Uh, second one is that the Ben Elohim are the sons of Seth, uh, the godly line. Uh, unfortunately, nowhere in the Old Testament are men called Ben Elohim until we get to the New Testament. Believers are, but not in the Old Testament. Uh, the third one is that the certain groups of a- these demon angels probably, because we really don't know, I'm going to tell you right now, all of them have holes in them. I know all the holes, so in all of them, uh, that, that, that demon angels possessing human men interacted with women bringing about this prodigy. Fortunately, the language doesn't support the fact that the Nephilim are necessarily the prodigy of this union. But Barclay, in his commentary, which is very interesting to go into, uh, once again, looking at the, the, the idea of the original readers, what they, what they see, what they show, in the, and it's basically the pseudopigphria of uh, Jewish writings, the ancient Jewish writings, uh, specifically First Enoch, uh, First Ecclesiasticus, uh, First Wisdoms, and First Barak, all, all indicate that the, the, what the Jewish believers would have believed is this is a reference to angels, to demon angels. That's who is incarcerated here. And that's why they're incarcerated here, because of the events of Genesis 6. I'm going to leave it there. We're not going to fight this anymore. But nevertheless, uh, that, is a lo- that gives some logical reason to it, because basically, if that is so, not only did the society completely break down, so did the, so did the barrier between the terrestrial and the celestial. And if that's the case, that explains the gravity of the judgment that goes on here. The point here is that the fall of angels uh, is, 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 <clears throat> is not so much the detail of the fall of angels, but the assurance that God judges. These angels were severely judged amongst all the angels that fell, the third that fell. This group was severely judged anciently. The rest of the angels haven't faced judgment yet. So he points to this as that judgment. And like these angels, the false teachers of the New Testament era are going to face God's wrath as well. And then the next thing he brings in, he moves right into, and once again he's still in Genesis 6, he brings the flood. Now the flood runs from Genesis chapter 6 through through Genesis chapter uh, 9, really. 8 kind of ends the flood, but 9 has to do with uh, Noah and their emergence back onto the dry land. The text moves from the judgment of angels where there is no redemption to the past judgment of sinful man in a, uh, in a worldwide event. First he went, he dealt with celestial beings, the judgment of celestial beings. Now he moves with a worldwide event. And then in Sodom and Gomorrah, he deals specifically with cities. So it shows the breadth of, uh, of God's judgment in the past. Uh, in this case, there is some redemption. We will see that as we go on. Uh, and, and basically what it says is in the flood, 
God did not spare the ancient world. Genesis, uh, Genesis verses 5 through 6, he says, Then Yahweh saw that the evil of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the heart, uh, thought of their heart, was only evil continuously. And Yahweh regretted that he made man on the earth, and he, and he was grieved in his heart. And in verse 7 he says, And Yahweh said, I will blot man out whom I have created from the face of the earth, from man to animal to creeping things to the birds of the sky. I regret I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then if you go down to verse 11, it says, Now the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and all flesh had corrupted uh, their way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I will destroy, I will destroy them from the earth. And then he begins the means of salvation in building the ark. But what we have here is a, a worldwide judgment. Uh, the details are given in verses uh, 14 through, uh, in chapter 6, verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 24 of how the flood proceeded uh, basically it was a total if you if you actually read it carefully and you go back to to Genesis chapter 1 it is an undoing of the creation uh, basically basically in the creation god moved to put boundaries upon the to home the deep this is the spirit of god moved upon the deep the to home and and in so doing, he put boundaries. Uh, he 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 put boundaries to it. He separated uh, the atmospheric waters from the earthly waters. He then uh, put land masses to divide the waters. He put some of the water underground. He put some of the ground, surface water, and then he did other things to create all of that. What he did in the flood is he basically broke down the the moisture in the air, the rain that had never rained before, and secondly. He, he caused great seismic activity on the earth that broke open all the fountains of the deep and flooded the whole planet again. Uh, he released the Tahom is what is what happened in the flood. That's that's what the judgment basically uh, basically had. Uh, but in that in that it goes on to tell us that Noah found favor in God's eyes within all of this corrupted mankind there was one man who stood the test that's that's what it says ultimately and God delivers this one man by having him build an ark and he is to take with him into that ark his wife his two sons and their wives or three sons and their wives I can't count. It's eight people. Anyway, uh, three sons and three wives, and Noah and his wife. Actually, the, the, the Hebrew wording says that Noah was the eighth. <laughs> that's, that's the way it words. In other words, eight people. And, and then he was to take pairs of animals and then certain animals for sacrifice as well into the ark so that the earth could be repopulated after this, this uh, event. Uh, and so what he is saying here is that wickedness was judged, but yet within that wick- wickedness, the, the, the only believers out of the whole of mankind were saved. They were delivered. Uh, they were delivered by taking them through the event is what God did, uh, uh, did with them. Yeah, I think it's interesting. It says Noah found, uh, Noah found 
favor in the eyes of the Lord or of Yahweh. And, uh, uh, and then it goes on to say that he was a preacher of righteousness. He exhorted and he built. He had a hammer in one hand and a Bible in the other hand. Well, he didn't have a Bible then, but nevertheless, nevertheless, he was, he had his sermon notes in one hand and a hammer in the other one. I don't know if he had a hammer either, but nevertheless, uh, uh, the point is, and this lasted according to Genesis 6, 3 for 120 years. I got to tell you something. This guy was tough. You know, can you imagine preaching to a world for 120 years and the only people that got in the boat with you were your wife and your three sons and, and their wives? Those are the only people that listen to you. That's it. The rest of the world died. They refused. Uh, that, that's the end of it. That, that was the end of it. And incidentally, just uh, just as a kind of a footnote, uh, I wrote it down here somewhere. Now I can't find. Oh, in, in seven sixteen, Noah must have been a pretty compassionate man, because once he was sit, sent into the the ark, I'm I'm assuming this, but I, I assume he was pretty compassionate and was hoping somebody listened and joined them, because it says once they were in the ark. God shut the door. You know, judgment fell. That's 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 seven sixteen. That's the verse. Responsibility is on God, not Noah. Yeah, yeah. God did. Noah did his job. God did his. The point is, God has judged the rebels of the past, and in the context, they're the false teachers. He will judge them in the future. And just as Noah was delivered from the judgment, believers will be delivered. Well, in Noah's case, he was delivered through the judgment. Uh, But uh, uh, believers will be delivered as well. Then he gives the third. He gives his his third picture. And here he says, here he addresses his attention to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, and if and since he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having them an example for those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And then he goes on to say, and and if since he rescued righteous lot oppressed by a sensual uh, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled man for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented uh, day after day by their lawless deeds so now we turn our attention to the cities of the plain incidentally there are there are six cities of the plain there are four other cities listed in the text of of genesis uh, uh, 18 through 19 uh, specifically in 24 and 29 uh, they are uh, so there are a total there were a total of six of them uh, that were to be overthrown and 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 the, if we go into earlier in genesis in chapters 14 and in chapters 10 and chapter 14 2 um, he he tells us uh, some things about these cities the number of cities that were there and in in uh, 13 10 he tells us that this was a garden like valley it was well watered it was was a beautiful place it was very very lush and lovely and uh, and of course this is why Lot was attracted to it he was a herd a sheep he was a sheep and herdsman Mm -hmm. Uh, 
that's thank you. That's what I was trying to get to because I, I think he had goats and other things as well, not just sheep. And and it was a fertile plain in which there was plenty to eat, and it was well watered. It was a good place. That's that's the idea of what it looked like be, uh, before because of trouble between his herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen. Uh, they decided that it was best to separate their herds. They had gotten that big. They were that large. They needed to separate. And Abraham, who owned the land, according to God's promise, says to Lot, you get to choose. You get to choose. It's your choice. You pick the land you want to go to. Um, My dad tells a story when he was a little boy. He had an older brother, and his older brother was kind of a character and uh he would uh they would buy a candy bar and my grandfather would hand it to the older brother to break it and then he would hand my dad the smaller piece so my dad complained and his dad says well what we're going to do is he and he called it pick and choice that was the name of this was the one that broke it the other one got to choose well, my uncle was no dummy. He made my dad break. <laughs> but he still got the bigger one. But the idea is, God here through, or Abraham told Lot, you get pick and choice. Uh, you, you get to pick. You get to pick where you want to go. And so he says, he would take the plane. Uh, he wanted this lush, nice valley. He would take it. And Abraham said, fine, that was fine. So he took it. And that's where he went. Uh, that's that's how he came to be there, and 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 <clears throat> and he goes on to say that they that they, as as we move through this text, he says he says that they they were condemned. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were condemned uh, to to um, to ashes. They were reduced to nothingness. This great valley. Uh, they were destroyed because of of, 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 of of extreme sexual perversion. Primarily, homosexuality is the is the key in this in this particular instance. Uh, this judgment uh, is used throughout Scripture. Incidentally, this is probably one of the most quoted judgments of the ancient world throughout Scripture. Moses quoted it in Deuteronomy twenty nine uh, uh, twenty three of the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos all cited this event as as an example. Uh, Jesus said that these are examples of what awaits unbelievers in Matthew 10, 15, and 11, 23 through 24. And Isaiah was quoted by Paul in Romans 9, 28, pointing to this event as an example. Jude, in, in verse 7, says, Just like Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having indulged in the same way in these gross sexual immoralities and having gone after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in the uh, in the under, undergoing the uh, of uh, an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. That's 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 the idea. This is this is one of Scripture's primary examples of God's judgment. And, and, he, and he goes on to say that their destruction, which is, which is the word in English we get 
catastrophe from or cataclysm from that's that's the idea of this word it was cataclysmic the event that happened here it means a complete overthrow it means god turned over everything he destroyed it all that that's the idea here it was a total and utter destruction uh, is what he's pointing to in this event in fact most there there is no evidence of where these cities even existed anymore there's no ruins there's there's nothing most biblical archaeologists think that these cities are somewhere under the dead sea that that's probably where they wound up uh, i, I kind of think it says they were covered in ash you know they were probably reduced to rubble and they went back to being the rocks they originally were they just don't exist anymore is is the idea but they they think it's somewhere in the the dead sea so if you understand that the upthrow the upheaval of all of this uh they became the lowest point on earth that's that's what that's what it says verse seven says verse seven then says since he rescued, or if, but it's since, he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. The first question that probably ought to come to your mind, did, it come, did this come to anybody's mind? Lot was righteous? Yeah. <laughs> Did that come to your mind? Okay. Yeah. I thought it would. It comes to mind. Uh, out of all the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, three were saved. Lot and his two daughters. His wife headed out of town, but she turned back and turned into a pillar of salt. Three times in this verse, the Spirit of God through Peter calls right uh, calls Lot righteous. Now, in calling that term, understand all of you are called righteous too. It basically means you're a believer. That's that's what it means uh, when it's applied to a human being. That's what it means. You have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's who believers are. They're righteous in the sight of God because God justified them. That's that's the idea. So, but if we look at if we look at Lot's life in thirteen five through thirteen, we find that he was superficial, selfish, and worldly. You know, he picked the best for himself. That's that's what he did. In nineteen six through eight, we see that he was morally weak and had poor judgment. When the men of Sodom and come banging on his door wanting the angels to have sex with them he offered he he offered up his virgin daughters in their place yeah he was a he was a great dad but at any rate that's what he that's what he did that's what he did he didn't want the he didn't want he he didn't want now the other side of that we'll look at it in a minute but there's another side of that as well in 1522 he hesitated to leave. Literally, the angels had to take him, his daughters, and his wife and drag them out the door and take them out of town. He was hesitant to go. You know, I hope when, if, if I'm alive when the rapture comes that I don't want to hesitate. You know, this guy hesitated. 
And then finally in 1930 through 35, after it was all over and after he was out of town, his daughters got him drunk, had sex with him, and both of them bore sons. Guess who those two sons are? Anybody know? Moab and Ammon. Ammon. Moab and Ammon. Two of Israel's greatest mosquitoes <laughs> flying around, stinging them constantly. But also, like, that's where we get Ruth from. Huh? But that's also where we get Ruth from. Okay, okay. <laughs> God, in his, God in his infinite wisdom. <laughs> that's exactly right. But he's referred to as righteous. In other words, he was a follower. Uh, he was a follower of 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 of, uh, of Yahweh. Nineteen one through eight. He had reverence for these angels. He recognized who they were from. Uh, he, he he had reference. He had reverence for them. In fourteen, he warned others in the city of the coming judgment. He he literally then proclaimed judgment was coming uh, and tried to give them opportunity to ex- to escape. And he did obediently never look back. So this is kind of the idea here about this guy. He goes on in verse 7, he talks about that he was outraged by their sensual behavior, which basically that's what this this word is indicating here, that they had outrageous behavior. It was unprincipled, that is, it was unrestrained, it, it, was out, it had no lawful standards, it violated both conscience and command. Uh, it, was, it was a horrible, a horrible place. Incidentally, this kind of reads like America today, but at any rate, and he says he was oppressed by this conduct of these. And this word oppressed means to to exhaust someone, uh, to wear them down, uh, to deeply trouble them. Uh, They troubled him, but he stayed. But nevertheless, he was exhausted by it. And then parenthetically in verse verse. uh, 28, it gives us something of how, how he felt. It says that he was tormented. That word literally means to torture. That's the picture of it. It tortured his soul to live there, but he stayed. Uh, I'd have, of course, a lot of us do, have done the same thing and do the same thing. I mean, I, I suspect there are still believers living in places like San Francisco, you know, New York, Chicago. California in general. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. So they were were he was tortured by it. Uh, 2.18, later on Peter is going to say in in 18 and 19, he's going to tell us this. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by sensual lust of the flesh those who barely escape from the ones who conduct themselves in error, promising freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. That's that's the picture here. So, Lot, like Noah, stands against sin in his day. He refuses to go along with the crowd, and he is ultimately delivered when judgment fell. Noah was taken through the judgment. Lot was taken out of the judgment. And God will continue to deliver his people 
um, as he judges the wicked. And then, then in the final verses, it's kind of a summary, kind of bringing it to a conclusion. In verses 9 and 10a, uh, Peter writes, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under, um, under punishment to the day of judgment, especially those who go after flesh in its corrupt lust and despise authority. So he basically says to us, he says, look, here's the conclusion. Before I told you, God judged but out of that judgment he saved. Now I'm telling you, God saves while keeping these others ready for judgment. He just he reverses the order. That's what he does here. <clears throat> it, it basically says, God knows whom to judge and whom to rescue in the past, and he knows it now. That's what, he, that's what he's telling us. He says, to rescue the godly from trial. Uh, trial in this instance is, is, uh, is the idea of, of temptation and testing. But in this idea, it carries the idea of a test to destroy. Uh, we used to do testing when I uh, worked for the city of Bakersfield in the fleet services department. There were things we had to test, especially any kind of aerial device. They were called non-destructive tests because the idea was we didn't want to destroy a piece of equipment that cost anywhere from, you know, this is your tax dollar, by the way, uh, that cost anywhere from uh, from uh, maybe uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars to, in the case of a fire department ladder truck, a million dollars. Uh, we didn't want to destroy it, you know, and I'm sure you don't want us to. Uh, but this is called destructive testing. This is the other side where you take a piece of equipment and you push it to its limit to see how far it will go until it breaks. And that's that's what this that's how this word here is being used. It's the same idea that's used in Acts 20, uh, where the Jews attack on Paul. They were attacks to destroy that was the idea. And that's what he's saying here. Uh, he's saying he rescues you from those trials. They won't break you. That's, that's the idea. God rescues you from that. That's, that's, what, he's, that's what he's wanting you to understand. Uh, it's the same thing that is promised in Revelation 3.10, where, where God promises, or Jesus in this case, promises the church of Philippi that they... Uh, that he will keep them from the hour of testing. Uh, that is, in this case, the Great Tribulation. That's the point that is being spoken of there. It pictures the unrighteous as waiting execution. Incidentally, he goes on to say he, he goes on to say he knows how to keep the unrighteous. He knows how to keep you from destruction to deliver you from destruction. But at the same time, he has the unrighteous. Ready to be judged. That's that's what it says here. He says he says he's an unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. What this pictures is he's got them marked out. Their punishment is set, and while they're awaiting to be executed, they accrue accrue more charges. That's that's what he's saying here. That while they're waiting to be executed, they just keep being bad. And get more and more and more leaped against them. That's 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 the picture here. So what he's saying is he knows how to rescue his believers, and he is going to judge the unrighteous. It will happen. Uh, that's 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 what he wants 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 them to understand. Romans chapter two. 
verses 3 and 6. This comes after Romans chapter 1. You're all familiar with Romans chapter 1? God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That's that's the idea. Here he says in in chapter 2, he says, And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But we do not presume presume this, O man, who passes judgment on uh, on those who practice such things and does the same, that you will escape the judgment of God. Or you think lightly of the riches and the kindness and the forbearance and the patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. That's the idea here. Uh, God is going to judge and he is going to redeem. He's going to redeem the godly, and he is going to judge the ungodly. And verse 10 goes on to say uh, that he especially, uh, I guess there's an extra bonus for committing these crimes. Uh, He says he especially goes after, uh, especially those who go after the flesh in its corrupt lust and despise authority. Once again, he he refers to to sexual sins and and the despising of authority. He spoke of these in the first verses in chapter 1 through 3. He says corrupt. The word corrupt means to pollute. That's literally what it is. He says they're polluters. They pollute the human environment is the idea here uh, that goes on. Uh, They make things unpleasant and they make things unwholesome. Those are words that accompany that idea. And then when he says he says about authority, he's talking about the lordship. They despise Jesus Christ is Lord, Jude, Jude chapter, uh, not chapter, verse 8. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme glorious ones. Uh, that's, that's the idea. That's who these people are. They, ex- they, they rebel against authority. That's, that's the idea. And their future is found in Revelation chapter 20. The right verses. 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it and from whose presence the earth and heavens fled away and no place was found for them. Then I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the book according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the uh, gave up the dead, which were which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the, the dead, which were in them. And they were judged, everyone according to the deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fires. This is the second death. The lake of fires. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fires. That's the fate of the false teachers, the lake of fires. And anyone who has rejected Jesus Christ. But for those, but for those who, who, uh, who have received him, verse 21 comes into play. The new heaven and the new earth. Our eternal home. Any comments or questions this morning? Yeah. Sorry, um, I believe that you said the term then Elohim was used twice in reference to angels. Once was in Genesis 6, and was there another reference? Where well, I didn't give the references, but Jude, in Jude, it's used several times. Okay. The, and you have to understand, Jude is, here's one of the things you do in interpretation, or in, is, is this. You look at first use of a word, okay. and that first use kind of dictates that word, because that, that sets the parameters for it. Mm-hmm. Ben Elohim in in Jude. Mm-hmm. No. 
Not Jude. Job. And it started with a J. Anyway, Job. Job is the oldest book of the Bible. Right. And as a result of that, it is the first use of those terms. Okay. And it refers to angels. Okay. And I think there are five uses. I don't remember. I had it wrote down somewhere, but I I didn't put it in my notes. Thank you. Okay. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we come before you this morning and we, uh, we give you thanks for that you are our God and that you and in your, in your love and in, through your mercy and by your grace, through your son Jesus Christ, called us into your family, adopted us as sons and made us part of the family of God. Uh, that by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are redeemed and we know that we have an eternal home with you in the new heavens and the new earth. We know what our future is set, but at the same time, Lord, we are also aware of those who have rejected you and have not come to you. And Lord, we, pl- we pray that, uh, uh, that our time, that our words, that our lives would show God, and that maybe out of these some there are those who have you selected to save and that we might reach them. And we would thank you and praise you for that. And Father, we just ask now that our day, the rest of our day, would be spent glorifying your name together as a family here at Grace Bible Church. And we thank you for this family. We thank you for this time. And we thank you for the worship we're about to enter into. And we just praise you in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.